In John's Gospel, in John chapter 11, we read about a time in Jesus' life when he attended the funeral of a dear friend of his named Lazarus. It's a very special account. For as we listen to the words of Jesus and visualize his actions in that instance, as we watch the soul care that he provides for the sisters of Lazarus, but even for all of those who were there. Well, we learn some tremendous truths about death, but even more importantly about Jesus himself. And my desire this morning in this message is to encourage each of you by recalling very briefly some of the important things which transpired that day and to point out some tremendous truths that Jesus imparted, not only for those in attendance at the funeral, but also for those of us gathered here. I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to be critical, but this is one of those times when um, the the scripture lessons, it just seems as as I read through John chapter 11, they make some odd divisions here. But I'm going to read the the verses that are assigned to this 16th Sunday after Trinity. But I'll be making remarks on both what happened before and, and what happened afterwards. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought... He meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came and found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem and about two miles off and many of the Jews had had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. I'm going to repeat two verses because I believe that in a sense, these are the most important verses in this entire text, where Jesus speaks to Martha and makes this declaration. And what a declaration it is. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, Jesus, as he went to the, to the funeral and, and later on went to the, to the very tomb of Lazarus, but before that, as he's speaking to Martha, who has come out to meet him and, and, and let him know of, of her conviction as to who she believes he is and what she believes he can do, he points out to her that death is a fact of life. In fact, Jesus spoke that to the disciples before re-entering Judah. Now, or Judea, excuse me. Now you have to realize that Jesus had crossed the Jordan River and had gone into seclusion in a sense. Oh, he did some ministry over there, but the disciples were convinced because they knew that the, that the, the Jewish leaders hated him. They hated him to the point where they were going to accuse him of blasphemy. They were going to stone him to get rid of him. And the disciples believed in their hearts that the reason Jesus had crossed the river Jordan was to get away from them, that he went into hiding, that in a sense he had to have been in fear for his life. And the disciples went very willingly because they were scared too. Now, Jesus wasn't afraid. That wasn't the reason that he went over the river Jordan. But now when he gets this news of Lazarus' sickness, he tells the disciples that Lazarus is ill. And, and Jesus, when he heard it, said, this illness doesn't lead to or won't lead to death. <coughs> Excuse me, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And, and, and when he says that this sickness will not end in death, <coughs> excuse me, that it was for God's glory, they thought, okay, we're safe. We're still here on the other side of the river. Jesus recognizes the danger in going to Judea, so we're going to be fine. <coughs> and then in verse 11, a couple of days later, Jesus says to, to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. And, and now they're getting troubled. They're getting nervous. You're going to go back over there? Wait a minute. You said he's, he's sleeping. If he's sick, what's the best thing, right? It's for him to sleep. You sleep, you get better. You don't sleep get worse. And so when he says he's fallen asleep, they misunderstand what he's saying here and they figure it doesn't make any sense to head back over the Jordan and to put ourselves in harm's way. And, and then Jesus clears it up by saying very succinctly in verse 14 of our text, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. I'm going to him. That, that can help you then to understand the context of, of, of Thomas. You know, we, we think of Thomas as doubting Thomas. 
if, if you think about it, the other couple of references to Thomas in the Gospels are quite interesting. And this is one of them. He says, let's go with him so we can die with him. It's a very fatalistic response, isn't it? And yet, and yet what he's saying is, I'll give my life for him. I'll die if he dies because nothing else in life is really going to matter anyway. So let's go. Let's go that we may die with him. And I wonder, we, there's nothing recorded, but I wonder what Jesus thought. In a way, he could commend Thomas, and yet, in another way, he's learned so little, right? But here's the thing. Death is a fact of life. And even the friends of Jesus die. Even Jesus' friends die. And so death is a reality. Death will come to us all. And it cannot then be ignored or denied. Sometimes death comes as a surprise because of an accident. It catches us off guard. Sometimes it comes after a prolonged illness or incapacity. And it helps us maybe to prepare a little bit, although I know my dad was sick with cancer for 17 months. Happened back in 1990. Still seems like yesterday. And as prepared as I probably thought I was, I shed tears at his hospital bed. It broke my heart that my father had passed. It is destined for a man to die once and after that to face judgment. We read in Hebrews 9.27. Now, death is a fact of life. Even the friends of Jesus die. And it cannot be ignored or denied. You know what else? It's not natural. Do you realize that? It is not natural because when man was created by God, he was created in the image of God, right? He was perfect. He was created to live in fellowship in a deep and abiding personal relationship with God himself. We weren't created to die. And so in that sense, it's not natural. We weren't created to experience death. We were created to live forever in God's presence. But it occurs now and it is a consequence of sin. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sin. Romans 5.12 The Lord warned in Genesis 2.17, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And they did. Spiritually, they died the instance they rebelled against God. And death of a physical nature was to follow some years later. Death evokes strong emotions within us, doesn't it? But you know what? 
as I read through John chapter 11, I've come to realize and appreciate the fact that Jesus' response to death parallels our own. In John 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, we read Jesus wept. Death saddened him. The death of a good friend caused him to mourn. And the mourning of those sisters whom he also loved made it so difficult for him that as he went there to the tomb, it's like it, in a sense, it almost overwhelmed him. And he too wept. He cares. He cares about us. And he sees death as the great enemy of our souls. The other thing, the other emotion that Jesus experienced, and it tells us twice, In John chapter 11 at verse 33, and again at verse 38, it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It literally would translate his guts were wrenched. You know what that's like, don't you? You've been mad enough, haven't you? It just ties you up in knots. We experience anger in that way. Jesus himself experienced anger too. Death was the great enemy of the soul, and he hated it. He fought against it. Now, his immediate reaction, I suppose, can give us some comfort, some consolation, that he knows what we're going through, that he cares about our sorrow, that he's angry with death just as we are, that death is a fact of life, that it is a reality too big to to be ignored. It's Event which arouses strong emotions within us. But is that it? I mean, is there any real help in dealing with death? Or is the statement true? From the moment you're born, you begin to die. Is that it? You know, you've got to take life as it comes. We take that kind of holistic approach to life and to dying. Are we to simply resign ourselves to death? You know, like the Epicureans of old, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Are we to treat life and death as some absurd joke? The the preacher in Ecclesiastes declares meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Is that true? I believe he spoke in confusion because the answer is no. It's a resounding no. While death is a fact of life, while death causes deep emotions to stir within us, the fact of the matter is death is not the end. Now, we commonly think of death as the end of life. But you know what? That isn't what it is. The essence of death is separation. The body and soul separate. Believers are separated from their families. That's the essence. Because the fact of the matter is that we will live forever in a conscious state. But at that time of separation, at that experience of death, we either go to be with God but we go for all eternity into hell. But we're conscious either way. 
So death is not the end. But the good thing is that Jesus did far more than merely console Mary and Martha. He made that claim to her in in verse 25 of our text. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And Jesus then went to the tomb and provided proof. He raised Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. And there was a large crowd, we're told in John 11, that witnessed the event. Lazarus, dead for four days, comes to life. And what does Jesus do? He tells people to take the grave clothes off. I I suppose I'm a little twisted, but you know what? I, I think that for Jesus... He kind of chuckled at that. To involve people in taking off the grave clothes to touch a man who'd been dead and now is drawing breath. What an amazing thing. All I can do is just say he raised him. Because it's true. And then Jesus himself not too many uh, days later, rose personally on the first Easter. He rose triumphant over sin, death, and Satan. When he said it is finished on Good Friday, it was. All that was necessary for your salvation and mine, the price was paid, and it was paid completely. That's why Paul can say in Romans 4 that he died for our sins. And he rose for our justification. That through his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins, justified before God on the basis of what he has done for us. Death is a fact of life, but death is not the end. Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. So how do we prepare for the hereafter? through the gift of faith that he would give us, to believe that Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. He enables us to confess our faith in him because he gives us that gift of faith. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But, there's that little three-letter word, but, in Romans 6.23. While the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And faith is the gift that he would give that we might trust in Jesus as our Savior. That's what faith includes. It includes faith in Jesus as our Savior from sin and death. It involves childlike trust being kindled in our heart. And faith will comfort us then when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Whether it's our own or whether it's others. I learned a lot from my father in his life. I think I learned even more in his dying. That whole process. It was remarkable. Because he'd only come to faith about about a year and a half before he got sick. 
and the way that by the grace of God he was able to deal with it and, and see the faith and the difference that it made in his life was such a remarkable thing. And I'm grateful to God because he gave the comfort as we passed through the valley of the shadow of death with, with my father. And we mourned, yes. And we all mourn when we lose a loved one. There's probably not anybody here who hasn't experienced the death of one or more loved ones. But while we mourn, we mourn hopefully if the brother or if the person who passed was a brother or sister. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Because we have the hope of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to make one more point as we spend this time in John chapter 11 today. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this or not, but the fact of the matter is that Lazarus, who was raised to life that day, and what a glorious thing that was, guess what, kids? He died again. He died twice. And it's very possible that he who preceded his sisters in death the first time may have preceded them in death a second time. You ever think of that? I mean, that's really something to ponder, isn't it? Now, can you imagine that it made any difference that they came to know, not only in their heads and hearts, but in their experience, that Jesus was the resurrection and the life? Hmm? That completely changes our experience of death when we know that we have a Savior who loves us, who's conquered death for us, and who gives us the sure and certain hope of eternal life. I just wonder what kind of difference it would have made to them the second time around to know and to believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. I think it makes all the difference. And I hope that it makes all the difference for each and every one of us here because what Jesus said is true. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen, Lord. You are the resurrection and the life. We, we praise you that that is true. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you conquered sin, death, and Satan. We thank you that because you're the resurrection and the life, then even though we die, we'll live again. That we live in you, that we live in turn, in, for eternity in the place that you prepared for us. And I pray, Lord, then, that knowing that difference would make all the difference in the way we face daily life and the possibility of death. In Jesus' name, amen.